You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramel, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Today's episode brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locked On rooms Locker Room, it's changing the way we talk about sports. It's a Thursday edition of the podcast. Well, at least you'll be listening to it on Friday, although it might publish late Thursday night. The point is, it's in between games. And thank you so much for dealing with (laughs) the late episodes. I'm sure I haven't been at my best. I have not gone and and re-listened to my recap of the Denver Nuggets loss. And, of course, unfortunately, I lost the episode uh, covering... The Phoenix Suns lost, so not a great week for me either, but I don't think anybody is at their best having to watch Heat basketball, especially Heat blowout basketball, at almost 1 o'clock in the morning on a weekday. So, But I took a nap, and it's Thursday, and I'm ready to talk to you about lots of different things, including Miami's offense, how injuries are impacting the Heat, and the NBA in general. But I want to start here with this idea that i kind of been tailoring with. It's just It seems to me more and more that teams around the league, and fans perhaps, but I think also some internal expectations from teams, that there is going to be this kind of leap as we approach the postseason. Like you're, there's this expectation that another shoe will drop. You know, I, I got this question that we approached on Locked on NBA during uh, my episode earlier this week where we talked about David Thorpe you know, kind of examining in his head whether or not the finals would just be a matter of simple, as simple as the Los Angeles Lakers finding enough offense to outlast the West versus the Brooklyn Nets finding just enough defense to outlast the Eastern Conference. And you look around from other teams too, like, you know, Milwaukee, Miami, Brooklyn certainly, Philadelphia to some degree, there's a lot of teams here in the Eastern Conference and out West that there's this hope that things will click, that it's going to take this next leap in their internal development over the next, I don't know, less than 20 games at this point, and that somehow they're going to reach the pinnacle of what their current iteration of their team is going to be by the time they reach the postseason, because they're counting on it, because they depend on that leap in order to be able to achieve the kind of success that they're hoping for. And I don't necessarily buy that either. I think I'm starting to get to the point where right now, the one thing that could change Miami's future in the short term is Victor Oladipo. And that's about it. You're not going to get another level. I've been thinking to myself, and and look, I, I feel like I've been guilty of this. I think a lot of you all have been guilty of this. There's this feeling, right, that Miami's building towards something because of the way the season started off with Jimmy kind of shaky and, of course, the short turnaround between last season and this one. And then, of course, health and safety protocols just rocks this roster. There's this inconsistently inconsistency in the starting lineup, 17 different starting lineups, Tyler Hero starting, on and on and on. And so it's always this next thing. First it was Giannis Antetokounmpo, then James Harden, then Victor Oladipo. And so the trade deadline kind of hanging over everybody and and always, and then the buyout market, even to some degree. And of course, there was some news around the league today that changed everybody's perception of the buyout market to some degree. So I, I think that's worth bringing up. But I, 
you know, just this whole feeling is that we've been waiting for this other perpetual shoe to drop. Like there's a million shoes waiting to drop there. And that all of a sudden Miami's going to find some new source of inspiration, magic, proficiency on defense where they're not going to necessarily rely on Bama DeBio, Jimmy Butler, or, you know, 36-year-old Trevor Ariza to save your season. And this isn't a negative thing necessarily. Like I, I, I feel like a lot of my comments can get misconstru- misconstrued because I'm not necessarily as rah-rah as some people might want. And that's just not me, who I am individually as a person outside of being a media person. I'm just not, I don't tend to be that kind of overly enthusiastic. I'm more even keeled in my approach. But I feel like this team is still very good, still capable in my belief of getting past the Eastern Conference. I'm just not ready to sit here and say, this team is going to be great or they're going to unlock X in order to become great because I just don't see that happening. Like, what are we waiting for here? We're seeing what this team can be. They make mistakes. Sometimes they play beautiful basketball. And it's their ability to be able to do more of the latter than the former for a consistent amount of time that defines their season. It sometimes is that simple. Like, nobody wants to. I feel like I've also been kind of misconstrued. No, no, not misconstrued. I feel like I have been of late not necessarily pinpointing analytics, you know, and I hate using that term because it's it's so, it's so uh, overgeneralized, right? We're talking about specific statistics compiled in a certain way in order to show one aspect of the game. But I feel like there's this other, the pendulum has swung far too, you know, in, in one direction than the other, where as a media community, we're trying to be smarter, right? We're trying to figure out possessions, you know, uh, rotations, best on the floor, off the floor numbers, things of that sort. And all of those things matter. And yet the bottom line somehow is ultimately going to be whether or not this team can play very well and whether or not a player can and will, because it always does happen this way, take some kind of internal leap, has some sort of change of heart. Like Goran Dragic, you couldn't have predicted what he did in the, in the bubble last year. You could not have. I, I don't think anybody saw, one, that he was going to start. Maybe that's an option, but I don't think anybody realized he was going to be the leading scorer for the Miami Heat through the first three rounds of the playoffs. And if you did, hey, can you tell me what's going to happen next year? Because I'd like to invest heavily. I, I just don't think that that's necessarily something that we can always predict. And, and the numbers or the statistics, and again, there's this catch-all phrase, analytics that we're using currently as, as a community, as a, you know, a, a family if you will, of people that congest, ingest basketball on a regular basis. Sorry, congest. That's a whole different connotation there. So, you know, I I just look at this team and what's happening with it currently, and I'm not so dismayed by losses to Phoenix and Denver. They don't feel great, and they certainly don't feel great at 1 o'clock in the morning, as you can all attest to. But I don't know that they're necessarily indicative of how Miami's postseason chances will be. I think they're still... The possibility of success. I guess the NBA is not going to be incorporating the bubble into the playoffs as much as I'd like that to be the case because I really do think that it makes basketball better. Like, throw everybody a bone, Adam Silver, for crying out loud. They've been traveling. They've been dealing with COVID. They've been dealing with everything, you know, that that has impacted this league this season. Can't you just give them 
a, a nice bubble there so that they don't have to travel as much. It work. Let it work again. You don't have to throw the billionaire owners the extra gravy on top of their overstuffed money buffet. Like they've been making money this season. I mean, every one of them has been making money this season, not just uh, on tickets, but on everything, you know, outside of their own individual interests in basketball. They're businessmen and women that are very much interested in making money, which is why they are at the position that they are. They don't need much more of it, is I think the bottom line. And if that's the case, help your players out. Like you've taken a step back in your the overall view of how you're perceived regarding, you know, being a forward thinker and being a, a you know, a player's first and foremost kind of a leader for your league. It should have been much more obvious to everybody else that you we're considering the bottom line above all else. But if there's no bubble, you know, you're going to have some players struggle with injury. You're going to have some teams eliminated from the playoffs because of it. Look, injury is going to happen regardless. But you don't want to exacerbate the situation by traveling as much as you do. You don't want to have a player go down. Look, this week is the first time in a long time since the Orlando bubble that the results have been a, a zero positive test from the NBA, from its – 468 players. That's the first time it's happened since the Orlando bubble. And of course, that number wasn't 468. It was less than that because only 18 teams were allowed in the bubble. 22 teams? Something like that. Whatever. I forget exactly the number. That seems almost like an eternity ago. You've been putting players at risk needlessly. And if you want to provide the best product to your millions and millions and billions of viewers from around the world, the Orlando bubble is probably the best way to go. I, I feel like everybody who's watching these teams in Milwaukee or Philadelphia or Los Angeles or anywhere else, I don't know that necessarily makes that much of a difference. Do Lakers fans feel robbed of not, of not being the not having the opportunity to cheer on their team in the Staples Center? I don't know. Maybe they do. I to me, I, I'm still more interested in, in having good quality basketball. Maybe I'm saying this because I think Miami would certainly thrive in that environment, but. Um, I think that other teams could find a way to thrive in that environment as well. I think, by and large, most of the teams that were in the bubble last year, as difficult as it was, still fought at least the the overall health and safety procedures that were being implemented with much more easy on the players themselves. Like, they're away from their families, but you know what? They're away from their families now, too. There's not exactly the same kind of access that they once enjoyed, even whether whether they're vaccinated or not. As far as Miami's are the leap around uh, uh, you know other teams looking to see if they have a leap. Not everybody's going to be able to take that leap. Not anybody. I mean, I, I feel like mostly nobody's going to be able to take that leap. Like, you are who you are by this point in the season, and I don't think that anything is going to drastically change from here on out. We've seen the very best of what Miami can do. Now we just need to see it for a consistent basis. But I do want to talk a little bit about Victor Oladipo and Jimmy Butler, recent injuries, and get into how other injuries from around the league are impacting the NBA. You're listening to Locked on Heat. But one thing that you can always listen to is rockauto.com and me talking about it because they've been a family-owned business for 20 years and they've provided great service on their easy-to-use website. Why go to a chain store to order parts when you've got access to computers with access to rockauto.com at home and on your phone? You just go in there, click on their easy-to-use website, Find the parts you're looking for, get them delivered directly and safely to your door, and you save money because their low their low prices are the same for everybody. You want to save money? I know you do. And if you want to order some auto parts, go to rockauto.com right now. 
Go to the section that says, how did you hear about it? And enter Locked On so they know we sent you. It's an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with a Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Burkowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on Odyssey or wherever you get podcasts. I wanted to address a point that was brought up to me on Twitter earlier today by Ben. He wrote in that, is the problem that everyone on this Heat team seems to have a ceiling of about 10 to 20 points? We seem to need everyone to hit their quote-unquote target to have a chance of getting plus 120 points and at the same time to have a resolute defense. Oh, defense spelled with a C, so shout out to Canada, Ben. Uh, Tyler, Jimmy, Bam, Duncan don't seem to have one-offs where they hit 30-plus. That's true. Uh, those those days are very unlikely. Uh, even Goron, I think, I remember talking about this with my former co-host Wes Goldberg years ago, where, where I think Goran Dragic had like maybe – two 30-point games during his best season and the year before he was named an all-star I think he had like two 30-point games like even at his peak as a scorer he was never really that ignitable I was watching who was it Uh, I can't remember which which team I was watching but there was a player there that just like you never get oh I'm sorry it was must have been the Nets game the other day Nets taking on the Sixers and maybe that's too upper echelon, high-level, elite-type players. But Kyrie going for 30-plus on the same game that Joel Embiid is going for 30-plus kind of reminds you that, oh, yeah, you don't really have that guy. You have to work for every bucket. And so it has helped define his team for six-plus years. Like, yeah, Dwayne was going to be that player. But Dwayne, post-2014, was less likely to have those kind of impacts. Chris Bosh, yes, could have had those games. Since then, you have not really had that a lot. You've had Josh Richardson kind of flirt with that possibility. You've had Goron. You've had Dion. You know, there have been moments here and there. But by and large, you don't have a consistent go-to scorer that is going to get you those monumental performances. Even Jimmy, like... What we saw in the Orlando bubble, we saw what it took from him because he's always going to be such a hell of a worker on defense. Like He's always going to try. I know there was concerns about what he did against the Denver Nuggets where he didn't look necessarily at 100% and whether or not he was giving 100%. I'd say that you have to squash those kind of ideas because Jimmy, if he's able to go out there, he's going to go out there and, and give it his all. And that brings me up to a point that I'll talk about a little bit later in this segment. But to get back to Ben's point, yes, I feel like you've got a roster of players that have a lower ceiling than some other superstars from around the league. I don't know that even at his best, if if Tyler reaches his potential the way that so many people expect him to, if he's ever going to get to that point of being a 30-plus point per game, you know, at least potential option. Jimmy can't, Bam can't, Goran at this point in his career can't. But while I responded to Ben about this via Twitter, and I've mentioned it on this show before, it also bears repeating, at least to me, I think, uh, that this team, they have to, as Ben points out, have to hit their targets just for them to be able to even win a game. It's not even about reaching a certain number offensively. 
Like just to be able to win the game, you're relying on everybody to put up their points. It's very, very rare that you can make up for a night where Goron isn't scoring or Tyler isn't scoring or even if Jimmy's not scoring, forget it. There's a good chance that you're screwed. At least that's the way it feels this season, more so than even the last one. And I've made the comparison again that I think it feels a lot like those years in between 2016 and 2019 where you were you were kind of the mediocre era of Miami Heat basketball where you were hoping that Josh Richardson would take a leap or you were hoping that, you know, Deion Waiters was going to carry the team because you needed everybody on this roster to be able to put up their numbers just to get you in a position to win. And that's not how it is around the league. Like, there are guys, again, you know, you can have a Brooklyn victory where Kyrie goes for 42, and you don't need Landry Shamit to come up with big numbers. You know, you don't need Joe Harris to get his 15 points per game. Heck, you can even outlast not having Kevin Durant and James Harden in the lineup. You know, think about that. You're taking away two virtual 30 points per game scorers and you can still somehow survive it if everybody else steps up a little bit. And if you have a player like Kyrie who can, you know, carry the load and is willing to, well, you know, on a night-to-night basis. I know that's another concern for a lot of people is that Kyrie is a, a temperamental personality. I, I personally like it. I don't, I, know, I don't know if I've talked about it on this show before. I feel like I've talked about it on Locked on NBA and others. But I, I like it. I, I, I like, you know, personality from somebody who covers the league, I feel like, a lot of personality, even too much personality, is better than the the inverse of that. No personality at all. So I I, I like those kind of players that look. I, I feel like I I also understand that Kyrie can be very very heavy sometimes, and I think there's also the perception that it's not always being very uh, forthright. You know, whether or not it's this is an honest attempt at him just trying to be a better person. I've also seen it described as Kyrie thinks he's the smartest person in the room and lets you know that he is trying to be the smartest person in the room on every occasion. And if that's the case, that could be a little tiresome to deal with from a, a media perspective, a fan perspective, certainly. Like, you want your guys to go out there and bust their ass, not try and give you, you know, around-the-way sort of answers to questions that nobody's necessarily asking. But I think a lot of it also kind of overshadow some of the good things that he's trying to bring light to and some of the good work that he's done as a a philanthropist, as a human being, and other things like that. Like There is certainly a spiritual aspect to Kyrie's approach to life and the game that I personally gravitate towards. So anybody who's Anybody who's trying to become a better person is okay in my book. It's the the rest of us that are all not always trying so hard. So I, that's uh, that's a, a different conversation, I suppose. But back to Ben's point, I just I feel like this team can always be uh, figured out that way, right? Because you always know what they're going to be capable of doing. There's no variance there. It's just a matter of whether or not they hit their marks and hope that you can do enough defensively to outlast your the opponent. But I also kind of wanted to talk a little bit about something that I've been seeing, which is a little unfortunate aspect of this season is the approach to injury, especially now that Victor Oladipo is on the roster. And especially now that, and I mentioned this in my most recent episode, talking about the latest updates on Victor's injury, that there seems to be a psychological aspect to this that a lot of people are, are kind of weighing heavily on, especially in light of Jimmy Butler twisting his ankle badly against Phoenix on Tuesday and then being in the lineup starting against the Denver Nuggets on Wednesday, albeit in a loss on both occasions. And now the conversation has become, 
Well, if Jimmy can go out there, you know, if Jimmy's a robot, go and suck it up, Victor. And I, I feel like a lot of that kind of discourse is probably not meaning to be as uh, vicious as it sounds because we're talking about a player who's missed virtually two and a half seasons of basketball dealing with a variety of injuries and coming back from that injury. Maybe there is a psychological aspect, and if that's the case, we'll never know. Like Victor's never going to come out and say, yeah, I was worried about popping my knee. I don't want to go out there and risk it without feeling 100%. Maybe he needs to do a little bit extra in order to to be able to overcome any mental hurdles. There's always going to be a mental aspect of this. There's also the conversation, you know, when it comes to NFL players, a league that I have long stopped thinking about. But I know when a player is out there, they need to go back out there. They need to get hit on that knee again in order to test it out because they've been psychologically warped from the, the expectation of injury. It's like, do you hear what you're saying? Oh, yes. Remember that last 280-pound guy that went and blew out your knee and tore your ligaments to shreds? And then you went back out there a year and a half later, probably a year and a half too soon, and you had another 280-pound guy there load up on your knee yet again? Did it feel okay this time? You're ready to go out and play? Good. I'm glad you got over it. You know, quit being such a coward. Like, these conversations, they're so simplistic. I, I, I know, look, I... I will not pretend I did not love watching football for a long portion of my life. I played it. I loved watching football. As much as I loved basketball, I would have said that football was the sport that got me more emotionally invested than any other. Uh, and, and I don't know why. Like I, I got to that point where I was like nervous and uh, just waiting to see what was going to happen during Dolphins losses and you know in, inevitable Dolphins losses. And it was not good for me to be there. And it was not until I started talking to players and covering this league that I started realizing there's a much more human aspect to all this that we're just completely ignoring. These people are going out there and risking their lives on a day-to-day basis, and that's not for me anymore. So that's my soapbox. You're, you're bound to get it on occasion here on the Locked on Heat podcast. So thank you for putting up with it yet again. But in, in relation to Victor versus the Jimmy conversation here, I, I just – I feel like it's a little unfair. Jimmy rolled his ankle. He didn't blow out ligaments in his knee. He didn't have a, a tear in a, a major quad tendon. You know, this isn't the same thing. And while Jimmy may be more resilient to injury, and we don't know why he might be, we don't know why LeBron James has been more resilient to injury. Look at look at look at the conversation. That's an interesting one. I just thought about this right now, even as we're talking. Think about LeBron James, right? A guy who never misses time due to injury. And what is everybody calling him? You know, they call him they call him very derogatory parts of the the female anatomy. Because because he got cramps in the 2014 NBA finals because, you know, he does solicit for foul calls. Maybe he's a little bit more expressive emotionally. He wears his expressions on his face pretty obviously. But this is also a guy that by any margin is a superior athlete, right? Like 6'8", 260 pounds-ish at under 10% body fat. You know, whatever standards you want to use. A guy who shows himself videoing, you know, lots of videos of him working out. But we know what kind of shape he's in from his time in Miami and outside of that. We know he spends a lot of money on his body to be in perfect shape, to be in great shape. That at his age, we've never seen the kind of transcendent performances that we get from him on a regular basis. Not since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he was dominating everybody at seven foot two. This is a completely different animal that we're talking about when it comes to LeBron James. And somehow... People still call him a coward, a chicken, etc., and a lot worse. And he never suffers injury. So 
what does that say? Like, what is it that we're evaluating out of our players? You know, where does the line get drawn for what makes you a coward or not? Is it your ability to come back from injuries? Your your ability to to not come back from injury? I, I don't know. Like for a guy like LeBron who never gets hurt, how can you question his toughness? And here we are questioning Victor Oladipo's toughness. I just think it's it's a little bit more um, nuanced a conversation as things often tend to be in life in general. And I, I, as much as I appreciate Jimmy coming back and hopefully being healthy, I don't think it was worth it for him to risk further injury and in what resulted in a 20-point blowout loss to the Denver Nuggets. Nothing was proved by him being out there other than he had a, a somewhat okay game and maybe he, the injury wasn't as bad as it originally looked. We shouldn't make that comparison. We don't know what Victor is thinking, what he's feeling, and certainly with his future on, on hold. Look, if Jimmy blows out his knee tomorrow and never plays another second of heat basketball, something I hope never, ever happens. And I, I will knock on here. Something wood right here. Wood surface. You're all good. Don't worry about it. It'll never happen. If Jimmy Butler winds up getting hurt for whatever reason, he's going to get paid close to $40 million a year for the next three seasons. The end of this season, the next two after that. That's that's not something that Victor Oladipo can say. He is a unrestricted free agent. He might get paid contracts worth twenty million dollars per year. Unlikely. It's probably looking closer to fifteen to twenty. And you know, this is considering how much money he's already lost for not accepting the Indiana Pacers extension from years ago. He's he's in a bad he's in a bad place financially, in comparison to other stars around the league. And I still think Oladipo fits that description. You know, maybe not superstar, certainly. But he's a he's a star. He's a star-changing player. You know, a guy who can change the course of a game. It's not going to be do it very regularly because, you know, injury limitations. But overall, I think he fits what Miami is looking to do. And he is a star-level player here. So, let's hope for the very best for both of them. Because injuries do suck. I'm not saying anything you don't already know. They are impacting the league at large. And I talk about whether or not they'll define the postseason in the next segment here on Locked on Heat. But before you even go anywhere else, make sure you go to Bet Online because it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball are in full swing. The Florida Marlins look pretty good. Bet Online even covers awards and TV shows and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props and almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline is your online sportsbook expert. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON. More analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, and mock drafts four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. So this next segment, I realize I'm going a little bit longer here. Jamal Murray, you know, that that kind of started the ball rolling for me is that Denver looks so good. And maybe I shouldn't be, maybe it's a little premature of me to be you know, declaring the Nuggets as out of the title chase because they're they're still a pretty good team. But Murray, such an important part of that team. And I feel like I should add, first and foremost, that 
I am I am part of the problem when I talk about injuries in such a way that I ignore the human aspect. Like, hopefully, first and foremost, Jamal Murray makes a full recovery physically, emotionally, and and whatever other aspects he can possibly recover. Like, he's an exciting player. He's a good player. He's a future star in this league. I think he's had a phenomenal season, maybe a phenomenal couple of seasons. And for his season to end prematurely like this is terrible. For him and for the Nuggets. But for him, most of all. And you look at what's happened there with, with the Denver's title window, and you wonder, you know, listening to, to the Locked on Nuggets podcast, you know, the, the implications from something like that are so severe. And maybe, again, it's hard to foretell, foretell exactly what will happen in the next year or two. But not only is he going to miss a significant amount of time this year, right, like he's done, he's also going to miss a portion of next year as he rehabs and recovers. Best case scenario, he misses a little time. Worst case, he misses a lot. And even then, it's just, well, like Victor Oladipo, how does he come back? Is he back to the way he was before? He seems of the type that's more uh, easy to bend back. I know he talks a lot about his martial arts training and mindfulness and meditation, things that he's incorporated in order to stay focused on the day-to-day and things of that sort. So hopefully he'll be the kind of player who responds quickly to treatment and is out there sooner rather than later. But even then... You're talking about a a title window that is suddenly much less easy to predict. You know, there's a chance that Nikola Jokic asks out of this team, that, you know, other players ask out. You've got to pay a lot of guys like Aaron Gorn and others. You've got to do some, you know, team building here. And, And it kind of helped me think, you know, why you all are so lucky to follow a team like Miami that has been part of the playoff chase for a lot more than they have not been part of the playoff chase. Like, this is a team that has really... Like, think about Denver, man. Like, when was the last time you really thought of Denver as a a title-contending team? Even before that, when was the last time you really thought of them? Like, the last couple of seasons with Jokic there, obviously, they've been very, very good. That's not to take away anything. And maybe you could make the argument, probably a pretty good one, that if they were in the Eastern Conference, they'd be a, a they'd probably have like three titles under their belt, maybe. But for for now, though, the reality is they do play out west. They have had an advantage playing in mile high altitudes or whatever. Nobody wants to play in Denver for that reason. But moreover, you know, they have had years, long years there of not being a very good team. And of not being able to contend for a title. Think about Miami's incredible track record since Pat Riley took over in 1995. They've been a playoff hunt more often than not. They've been to, what, six NBA finals? Three titles in that span? That is, by any margin, a really, really successful franchise. And somehow, you know, I don't know that they necessarily get – put into the same conversation as some of the best teams in the league, but I think they're certainly deserving. But you compare that to Denver's lack of success, and it's it's makes it that much more severe when a player like Murray winds up going out for the rest of the season. And then there's other injury issues too. I mean, look at Zach Levine. For a team like the Chicago Bulls that went all in on acquiring Daniel Tice, uh, I can't remember his name now, Troy Brown, 
Jr., Nikola Vucevic. Like they threw away, not threw away, they gave up a lot of the same draft picks that fans so desperately hang on to. Like, oh, our lottery picks, our lottery picks. They gave up a lot of those picks and players like Wendell Carter Jr. and others in order to acquire Vucevic. And they're going to be out of the playoffs. Like, Zach Levine's going to miss several games due to health and safety protocols. And even before that, they just weren't winning. Maybe that was a swing for the fences that didn't exactly work out. But, you know, you add to that the unfortunate news that, like, Marcus Aldridge is retiring because of a irregular heartbeat that led him to what he details as one of the scariest incidents of his life. The potential, the potential for a cardiac arrest, I guess. I mean, like just that the threat of that happening. And you look at what I mean. I know it's easy to immediately jump out and say, "Well, I'm I'm glad he's not on Miami's roster." That's a little heartless. I, I I've made that leap too. I, I think it's impossible to avoid. But moreover, you think about how uh, illusory the nature of of, of health and, and stability could be, because any player could go out and change the impacts that change the course of your, your team's immediate short-term and long-term future. Like Aldridge was going to be, was viewed as a, a big building block, not building block, a big piece of, of Brooklyn's contention. I never thought so. And then now he's gone. Jamal Murray, certainly a bigger part of what Denver was doing. Vucevic, that trade, you go all in because you want to maximize the, what you have in, in Zach Levine. And now you're certainly going to be out of the playoff picture. Even Miami's own issues with Victor Oladipo. Conversely, Oladipo and the acquisition of Oladipo didn't cost Miami a whole heck of a lot. And that's why you have to trust what this front office has been able to do over the years. They are, they've put this team in a consistent position to win, and they know about team building. Even when people were criticizing 16-17 and the 4-for-64 you know, contracts that gave James Johnson and Kelly Olenek and everybody else, I, I, really, I never really lost hope or faith isn't the right word, but belief in what this front office could do. I, I never really questioned this front office as, I mean, I had questions, but I never really, I, mostly my questions were centered around Hassan Whiteside getting $99 million. That's just, maybe that's just me. I didn't think it was a particularly good deal. But uh, when it comes to what they've done over the years, I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt. And, 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 you know, injuries can really impact how a team performs and have impacted the season in a really terrible way. Uh, Baxter Holmes on ESPN recently wrote a piece about how the difficult schedule is making things so much more difficult. Again, I don't necessarily agree with some of the ideas. And again, I'm not a medical person, so I can't speak to that. But he brings up that, you know, th this season – has been uh, one marked by the most all-star level injuries since the 2014-15 season. And so it's a good statistic to point out, but it feels like it's kind of cherry-picking a little bit because nothing happened in 2014-15 that would you know, exacerbate injuries or anything like that. I know that the schedule has been tough for players. Okay, I understand that 100%. I don't know that we necessarily start to start cherry-picking statistics that kind of back up that a notion because I think it's pretty evident that traveling day in and day out and then being stuck in your hotel room and not having multiple days off is difficult. <laughs> that's just that's just human nature. I don't think anybody wants to play like that or live like that. So it's an interesting 
piece about how the schedule has made life difficult for trainers, for medical staffs around the league, that there's going to be just a number of soft tissue injuries. Injuries, man. Until we're playing this with robots out there, it's never going to be the same. And I don't know. I mean, robots will take away a lot of the fun, right? The dynamic potential of what could happen. You never know. And that's why you watch the game. That's why you love the game. That's why I did. That's why, I mean, I, I do, certainly. And uh, I just hope that Miami can find a way of turning things around. And I hope for all the players that we've talked about and, and the players that I haven't talked about that they all find a way to bounce back from injury, that they all stay healthy. I, I would love to be able to see a, an injury report with not a, a single name on it. And that's for 30 teams around the league. Unfortunately, just doesn't seem very realistic. But either way, just a scheduling note, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves game is at 8 o'clock on Friday night, so I will have a recap after that game. Thank you so much for sticking around and for listening during the West Coast road trip. We, we're done. No more 1 o'clock games, I think, for the rest of the season. At least I, I hope not at 1 o'clock in the morning. I, I mean, as far as recapping is concerned, the games itself weren't starting at 1 o'clock in the morning. That would have been brutal. Like that, now I could really see the anti-Miami heat bias if somehow you schedule a game at 1 o'clock in the morning the West Coast road trip. But just a reminder, you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show or follow it. I think that's the current terminology. So follow the show wherever you are and leave a review. I do love the reviews. Got a whole bunch of them lately. Keep it coming, please. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting the show. And most importantly, thanks to all of you. I'm David Ramil, signing off.